You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Riverwise Podcast. I'm your host, Kari Frazier of Detroit is Different, and this is going to be another discussion where you're going to learn more about social justice efforts in and around Michigan, Detroit, and also the nation and world. I have Hadassah Greensky here today talking about different things happening with the indigenous community throughout Michigan. And also we're gonna talk a little bit about her background in music and so much more. Hadassah, how are you today? I'm great, how are you? Oh, everything is cool. And uh, as I'm learning more about some of the work you're doing, like many of the listeners here, we're going to be intrigued. So first let's open up to your background when it comes to creativity, because you're a part of a group called We Are Culture Creators, and culture and creativity is something that's big here in the city of Detroit, but definitely with Detroit is different and Riverwise. So let's talk about your creativity and how you tap into that. Oh, man, I've been creative since I was a kid. Okay. Um, I'm actually the youngest child, and all my siblings are much older than me. So I spent a lot of time alone as a kid just creating and and playing the piano, even though I didn't really know how. Okay. So you were just banging on the keys. Absolutely. And so my parents (laughs) were like, all right, well, why don't you save up your money and try to get an instrument? Mm. So at 12 years old, and and I grew up singing too. I I grew up singing in the church. And Mm. um, yeah, uh, my parents, they were like, save up your allowance and why don't we we get you a bass, you know, Mm. since you want to play bass. Um, yeah, that was the instrument I picked. I wanted to be different. I really liked Esperanza Spalding too. So yeah, um, I started learning bass at 12 and, um, I also just started learning how to do more of our traditional crafts for my family. And, uh, I taught myself how to do traditional beads, you know, and I, uh, man, creativity is just every, every day, every day. So when you talk about your family and the traditions, uh, we definitely look to the the colors, the meaning, the designs, uh, mm. the different signs of different things that we see with indigenous garb, indigenous carvings, indigenous scriptures, and so much that just exists throughout a place like Michigan. And it's all around us. And then when someone points it out to you, you're like, wow, that, that does mean something. So being that that is a part of your family, family's tradition and history and culture. Uh, how did you tap into that? And what does it mean as you were learning at a young age to create this? Mm, so when I was about uh, around that age, 12 years old, maybe a little bit younger, my family brought me into the powwow circle. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing in our family, you know, symbolism, um, you know, all that stuff holds like spiritual and energy, you know. And mm-hmm. they taught me at a young age that, you know, Everybody here, they have special symbols and special colors that mean something to them. And they told me about a little bit about our family and a little bit about the things that are important to us. Like my my family is a turtle clan. So our colors are blue and green, you know, Mm -hmm. that very earthy and water kind of colors. Okay, so please, let's break down the powwow circle, what that means. Mm -hmm. We definitely may have a more westernized (laughs) viewpoint of what that is and what that looks like, but from being a part of a family that carries that culture and tradition, what does that mean and what did it mean to you as a child? Yeah, wow. So um, in about 1978 was when the the law um, 
It was like a law that was lifted for Native people. We were allowed to finally practice our ways and our culture. That's pretty recent, actually. You know, very recent. It's extremely recent. So yeah, we, uh, my family, you know, they they saw powwow dancing. A powwow, a powwow is a big celebration. Okay. You know, it's it's dancing, it's it's food, it's music, and uh, a lot of it is centered around that dancing, the music, and the circle. And when I say, like, they brought me into the powwow circle, that means that they, they helped me with my regalia. They helped me get things together so that I would be appropriate to dance in that, in that circle. Mm-hmm. And that's a special role that our people take on. You know, they always taught me from a young age, like, all these symbols and all these colors. You wear them because it's a part of your prayer. You know, they said to dance is to pray. And mm-hmm. that's why the dancers are so sacred and, and why it's such a, a beautiful blessing to have things like powwows nowadays where all of our energy is coming together. That is that's very deep to c- tie the dance and the spirituality as we, and we think of uh, some of the traditions that tie back for me, uh, from African-centered schools and many of the African traditions have that same uh symbiotic relationship and as we also speak of this uh how how do how does a person outside of the culture outside of the tradition honor this without appropriating the culture or disrespecting the culture and what what's the correct way of looking to learn more but not be disrespectful yeah um that's a great question and i thank you for asking that 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 means a lot um I wish I got asked that question more often, honestly. don't mm. People just don't be afraid to ask that question. It really does mean a lot that you come with us with those good intentions, you know. Um, for me, I would say that, you know, the powwows, uh, there's contest powwows where we do dance competitions. And, mm. you know, those are happening all over the state. Um, and, you know, the general public is welcome to those. Um, there's some rules like you don't want to touch anybody's regalia or or take any photos or anything like that. You certainly don't want to like go around calling people um, saying that you like their costume, you know, cause we're not, mm. we're not dressing up. You know, this is who are who we are. It's not like Halloween or nothing like that. You know? All right. Let's, let's stop with, with photos. Cause nowadays, I mean, just due to the expansive nature of most people having a smartphone, just every experience is like, Hey, let's just take pictures. Let's take pictures. But, um, taking pictures of a spiritual experience I could see could be very invasive. And is that just the 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 respectful order of that that should be looked at? Because I could easily see in today's world, you know, that's what people do. You know, I mean, people are people, you know, go live at a funeral these days. You know, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I would say that, um, you know, it's really you should ask for those photos. But there are times where you know, people can take photos. What will happen, though, if there's like a special like spiritual dance that is being done at that powwow, mm-hmm. the MC will actually announce on the microphone that no photos are to be taken and for gentlemen to take their hats off, you know, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of respect. It's just kind of a code. And, you know, those aunties will come after you if they see you with a cell phone, <laughs> you know, they'll be like, okay. hey, cut that out. And and, and a lot like uh, in the African tradition that I'm more familiar with uh, when we pour libations, uh, you're you're calling upon other spirits to be present. So it, it, it in a powwow, uh, is that something that's usually done in different dances? And then along with those spirits, it, it's it's that presence. You know, when you're welcoming those ancestors into a space, it's a it's a it's experiential 
but it also should be respectful. And is is some of this similar? It, it you know, in that kinship or can you know share into that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is very very similar. Um, we're definitely you know harnessing a certain amount of spiritual power here. You know, our our spirituality and our life ways are one in the same. You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing that separates those. So when it comes to powwow, you know, it is like something that's seen as sacred. And, you know, um, powwows are really more of a, um, a a pan-Indian thing, a little bit more of a homogenous space for us Native people all over Turtle Island to be a part of. You know, so it's really a showcase for all sorts of tribes to bring in their dancing. You know, there's about mm-hmm. six six categories, you know, different dance styles. And and one comes from the Ojibwe people. Some of them come from the plains, you know. So it's it's all of these things together. And we just compete to, one, you know, just bring that joy and that energy into the space and also to pray. And that might be for healing and, and all that. All of that, that joy and, and that moment of healing, all of that is sacredness. That is That is something that we ask to be respected. And as you speak about this, you're going to be leading an effort at the end of August where many people can connect to this and it's going to be big. Uh, We Are Culture Creators are presenting the Vibes with the Tribes Festival. Uh, It's going to be August 28th. Uh, I'm going to be there, so Kari Frazier will be there and some other cool people will be in effect as well. But this will be a way to experience some of the different traditions, see, uh, see the... The, the culture live and, and experiences. What's going to happen on that day with vibes with the tribes? Oh man, I'm I'm super excited to present you know something like this in a very in a very modern context, you know because native people I think there's still this idea that we're sort of this thing that exists in the past. People still ask me if I live in a teepee, you know, it's wow. like we don't have this this connection to like living in the present. You know, we're here. We're living in two worlds. We're still practicing our ways. And we're not like in, in this kind of Smithsonian-esque kind of Native American like life ways like we are and we're not. You mm-hmm. know, we're just as present here. I'm wearing, like, you know, just regular clothes here. You yeah, know? And, and you have like cool, like, I mean, I have on my, <laughs> I have on my African mask. Yeah, that, I got my uh, style, from, my from beads. Ghana, and you have your beads <laughs> on, but we're also in a t-shirt. And right. with that, I, I would say uh, at the at this event coming up, uh, what will I experience by attending, and what should I expect to see? Uh, what should I expect to walk away with if I want to support? What what ways do I support? What's happening? This festival is for everybody. You okay. know, this is for Young all. Old. Yep, everybody, okay. all ages, all people. Um, you know, it's just an open experience. It's an experience rooted in our traditional Anishinaabe ways, and it's also, you know, we're blessed for it to be happening on our ancestral lands as well here in Southwest Detroit. Um, it's really a convergence of the modern and the traditional you know it brings together this idea of a a music festival with popular native acts from all over the country and then we also have you know around a powwow dance where we're going to have our big drums out there and some of our powwow dancers during the day you know this really like helps braid together this this two world life that we live in and you know we also have a couple events that are leading up um to the festival, just some community events like movie showings and just get togethers and activations so that we can just continue to connect 
um, with the community and not just the native community, just everybody, you know, because the main message is that I want to create a safe place for everyone to to enjoy, you know, what we have to offer and also just highlight our talent. And then also connecting to a culture that many of us don't know about because, you know, we may not have seen it or touched it. And we want to be respectful about how we do that. Uh, you said in Shabwe ways. In Shabwe, what, what's that? Uh, Anishinaabe. In, Anisha, in, okay, I'm about to I'm going to help it. you. Anish Anishinaabe. Anishinaabe. Anishinaabe ways. What's, what's Anishinaabe? So Anishinaabe is, well, what it literally translates to is the good people. And that's what we called ourselves. The Anishinaabe people are consistent of the Three Fires Confederacy. And that's the Odawa people, mm-hmm. the Ojibwe people, or what um, you might know as the Chippewa. That, mm-hmm. That's actually incorrect. It's Ojibwe. And then the Potawatomi people, or what you might know as Potawatomi, which is mm-hmm. also incorrect. So the Odawa, Ojibwe, and the Potawatomi people make up the people of the Great Lakes, who are known as the Anishinaabe Nation. And mm-hmm. that ranges as far north as the Hudson Bay, um, far over into um, Manitoba, down into the Dakotas a little bit, and all of the Great Lakes region up into Ontario. Wow. Okay, so this is even uh, when we think of the whole idea, uh, as I often present to people, the whole idea of land ownership and what these lands and ownership means for Native people, Indigenous people, and even African people. Really, a lot of people outside of non-European people never even had the concept of land as something that could be owned. So these barriers of like, well, that's Canada and that's, you know, Minnesota, that's, this is a, a conceptually new, let alone the barrier of any land being owned or property is something to be owned. And, and ownership was not even necessarily a word in most of these other, you know, in most of the tongues. Yeah. When it's we like think owning of, the cloud. You can't yes, do that. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, well, I guess people are trying to own water, too. But um, <laughs> so so when we think of the tribes how the interactions and the differences in dancing and culture uh where do the divisions or where do the differences i don't want to say divisions because that has like a negative connotation but where do the differences come into play uh how, how do you recognize the differences what what made it different was it the spirituality was it maybe just the the way people looked at uh family uh, what what was, uh, or agriculture, what were the differences between the three? Mm, okay, so um, I actually have all three tribes within me. Okay. Um, so my family is three tri- or all three tribes. So mm-hmm. the Odawa people were known as, if I can remember this right, they were the, the ones that uh, facilitated trade. Hmm. And okay. the Botawatomi people were known as the fire keepers, and they were the ones that um, were over the culture and over uh, keeping like these really deep spiritual ways. And they all had these different, um, you know, these different roles that really made up the whole uh, community of the Anishinaabek people. Mm, so now I understand. So more so like the functionality of your family's lineage, mm-hmm. the same way like in a, like a Jewish family, like shoe, Schumacher, your family was a shoemaker, like, you know, and you carry that on through tradition somewhat in that same source here. Like if uh, if if your family was more so into trade, you may go further in the boundaries or be on the coastal lines or different things like that. And then keeping in tradition, that person mm-hmm. definitely knows, all right, well, this is 
is how we're building drums. This is how we're making garb. This is how we're going to build statues and so forth and so on. So now I understand. So the, the functionality of your role in the community kind of tied you to a different tribe. Yeah, that and it is it is definitely like familial ties, you know, mm-hmm. because we also have like these clan systems as well. And it comes from these seven clans. Uh, they're all named after animals. And those animals are really our teachers. And they tell us what our role as a family is going to be within our community so that none of those roles get overlapped or anybody argues over those. And and when you talk about family and creativity, you also have another depth of family into some of the people I know into the jazz community. You're a Absolutely. part of the jazz community. As uh, in in our discussion before, I'm like, wow, you know, a lot of the jazz players I know. Yeah. And then, you know, you can share a little bit about your history into music uh, as you picked up. And we went deeper into your world oh, of yeah. uh, creativity <laughs> as uh, in in bringing people to. And welcoming people into the indigenous culture and the tradition, but you also are connected to one of the one of what we label as America's first art forms. Uh, John Conyers labeled it that, but uh, mm-hmm. jazz. So, what what's your connection there? Man, jazz jazz is such a beautiful music. It's it's the classical music of black and brown folks of America. You mm-hmm. know. Um, my parents always listened to jazz. Uh, my grandfather, uh, Billy Mashike, he was actually a jazz player in Detroit back in wow. mm, like 40s, 50s, you know, mm. definitely like the heyday of jazz in the city. Okay. Um, he played trumpet and he played trombone and I actually still mm. have his instruments to this day. Okay. Um, that's probably some really good, uh, that's probably some very well-crafted yeah. Uh, brass right there. <laughs> I wish I could have met him, but, you know, I just know that this, this uh, like, the lineage is strong in my family, you know? Okay. And uh, I started getting into jazz, um, you know, I, I was about 12 years old because my, uh, my bass instructor was actually a... Um, he was a student at the University of Michigan for uh, jazz studies at the time. Okay. And so he was introducing to, uh, me to a lot of music, a lot of music theory, just more complex levels of music. And all of it kind of led back to jazz. And I just had this fascination with with sound and how jazz just commands, um, you know, it just commands tonality. It, it, it's, it's all about the tension and about the release. And that's such like a beautiful like metaphor for life because we always go through these moments of tension and release. And, you know, just music speaks to me on another level. It really is like a, a spiritual tool for me. And you're, and you've, navigated um how like i guess as a as an adult whatever we label that as <laughs> in this world of music and jazz uh composing uh and performing uh singing playing uh w- what has that been like uh, and then also how do you carry uh these lessons in the culture of your people and you offer that into the music that you offer beyond what people may put in the box of what they expect from mm. the world of indigenous culture. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say that, uh, like, my indigeneity has taught me how to access and use music as a spiritual tool, you mm-hmm. know. There's just this 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 realm that you get into. And actually, you know, I've talked about this a lot with my uh, friend Marcus Elliott. Mm. You know, because he's a person that I see just that knows how to use that that higher realm, 
you know, to really touch people. And that's that's the part of music that really, like, drives me, you know. And as far as my indigeneity with the music, you know, it's been interesting, you know, because I'm also a woman in the music scene, too, and it's very much a male-dominated scene. Very much so. And so there's been, um, you know, to be frank, it's just been, um, you know, I'm a brown girl where there's, you know, a lot of guys and I'm seen as kind of this exotic thing or I'm a woman or I'm a singer, so I must not know music or something, you know. There's been some obstacles for sure, I would Mm -hmm. say, because it's definitely, it can definitely be like a, a boys club. And, um, you know, I just I just work on myself and my music and um, I'm arranging, I'm, I'm composing um, more or less like some more singer songwriter stuff because I also love to like write lyrics. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm working on that a lot more. But, yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been really interesting. It's definitely been really interesting. And um, I'm really excited to see how jazz music is going to shift forward too because i feel like music as a whole right now is shifting like we're we're getting a little dissatisfied with the status quo like we wanna we wanna like feel music again Mm. you know and so i feel like people are are looking back you know and that's how it's always been that's how history moves forward is we look back and remix it and move it into the future that's really what like futurism is you know and for me you know, I'm I'm tapping back into these older ways of of like our music, our indigenous music. I sing um, like our old hand drum songs, and I and I play flute, and you know, I uh, I'm just trying to tap into that and just soak up more knowledge and and use that, you know, to drive my music forward. You know, what does that what does a, a brown girl look like in the context of jazz? And that really hasn't existed in too many cases, you know. Mm. Um, Mildred Bailey, you know, she was a famous uh, Native American uh, jazz vocalist back in, I think it was the the 30s, 40s, something like that. Um, you know, but there, uh, Oscar Pettiford, too, he's another one that was, um, uh, I believe he was Choctaw, you know, but we're, we were out here, you know, okay. we've been out here influencing music for a long time. And when you talk about influencing music and what that means... Also, just even the 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 way and the style, I guess that uh, that 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 comes to stage as you kind of tie back into uh, doing more work uh, with the culture creators connected to the indigenous work. Like, have you uh, looked at opening up? Because when I think of powwow and I think of drum circles, uh, it feels more interactive sometimes mm-hmm. than maybe a jazz experience can be. Whereas a jazz experience can be more of a, a spectacle, like like we're we're sitting and we're viewing. I go to Cliff Bells, I feel like more like okay, I'm chilling. I, mm-hmm. You know, I'm 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 out. I'm out with somebody that I want to be out with, and and I'm I'm gonna watch this show. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I think of uh, the 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 more um, this experience of like a drum circle, I'm thinking like, okay, this this feels like almost everybody's everybody's active. Like, has that impacted how you look at performance and stage and connecting to people? Oh man, yeah. I, I guess I say it, it is for sure. You know, I uh, I always love to see like people dance, even when I'm like playing jazz. You know, okay. to see people dance because that's such a um, a vital interactive part for me that I've always seen music like of course there's music there why wouldn't you dance like you want to okay. feel it in your body you know and so like with this this these intertribal um, 
dances that we're doing, you know, I just want to encourage people to come out and come dance, you know, and know what it feels like to have that that drum just go straight through you and, and just feel your feet on the ground, you know, because it, it really is like a very visceral experience and music really should be like that. It should, you should feel it in your whole body, you know, and that's that's part of that spiritual experience, too. So connecting but shifting patterns, because there still is so much uh, unawareness, uh, e- even in me and many others, like first off, just even with uh, with using the term indigenous or native and some people even say Indian still like what uh, what's the respectful way of knowing, first off, um, how to tie with uh, when you're unaware of the tribe or or enunciations of the tribe or just acknowledging the indigenous people in a space? Mm. Um, well, I would say that questions are always really, really good, you know, okay. and just uh, preferencing that you don't know and that you you just have good intentions. Because I can see when people, you know, they just don't know and they just they just want a little help. And, um, you know, that's really at my discretion whether I, I offer that to them. But, um yeah, I, I would say that people that have good intentions, you can always ask these things. You know, for the most part, Native people don't really um, like to be called Indian by non-Native people. Uh, that's kind of one of our, our own things, you know, that and uh, like Sav or Savage. Like that's a, mm-hmm. that's a thing that's like within our own culture. Like we'll mm-hmm. call ourselves that, but I don't really want to see non-Native yeah. people call us that. But as far as like how they like like you could label us as indigenous that's an extremely broad term you know because there's mm-hmm. indigenous people all over the world true um you know you could say that i'm native um or you know if you do a little bit of research maybe you might know some of the tribes in the area that you're living in like detroit you know where anishinaabe um ojibwe uh Bodawatomi, and odawa okay Okay, so so kind of depending upon where you may learn, but it takes the willingness to be present and have good intentions. That is the the first good faith effort, which makes perfect sense. And connected to this, uh, I mean, things are still heavy um, with uh, with with the tragedies that are connected to indigenous people. Um, There are so many murdered and missing indigenous women today. Uh, This is something that uh, vowed that we mutually know together that said, hey, you need to need to get this interview going. Uh, She definitely spoke on. So can you please speak to what's happening in reference to this and raise some awareness on this topic? Yeah. um, Yeah. MMIW. That's what we call it for short. It's it's definitely a huge issue. Um, people might see uh, MMIW awareness as like a red handprint across, you know, a woman's face or just the color red might be out there. Um, that all lines up with uh, the MMIW. So that issue. So that's missing and murdered indigenous women. Yes. Missing, M-M-I-W. murdered. MMIW. Yep. Missing, okay. murdered and indigenous women. I would even go as far as to just label it as MMI. IP, you know, just for people, okay. because it happens to children, it happens to men, and it happens to women. It definitely happens to women at a more often, more uh, often, mm-hmm. absolutely. But um, you know, it really kind of goes back to just the general view of of the native person. You know, like you have to realize that our U.S. documents literally call us merciless Indian savages. Let me quote that: merciless 
Indian savages. That is a quote from the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. So when you have that as the preface, you know, the general population's view of us is not really good. We're really seen as just worthless to so many people. And what happens is, you know, we have this federal land that we that a lot of people live on, a lot of, um, yeah, it's uh, the reservations, you know, that's that's federal land. And there's just discrepancies in the laws that protect our women and discrepancies in police work and who gets to um, solve certain cases on the reservation, whether it be the tribal police or the FBI or the Bureau of Indian Affairs, you know, and there it's because there's so much um, gray area and confusion, it makes it a lot easier to go onto the reservation and kidnap women. Hmm. And so it happens so often, it's truly a, uh, an epidemic. Like women will get stolen from the res, you know, whether- So human trafficking is, is very prevalent. Absolutely, and it's and it's in so many different ways. It, you know, it's a lot of like non-native men that come and steal our women, uh, rape and murder them. We find their bones down the rivers, you know, like, six months later while their family's trying, you know, just desperately trying to find them. And, and then you also have um, one of the biggest things, too, is is the pipelines. So like Enbridge, you know, they're, they're the big pipeline company. They have line three and they have line five. And, you know, there's all sorts of pipelines around here. Well, what they do um, when they have these pipelines is they set up these man camps. And it's kind of like back in the day when there was like coal workers and stuff, they would mm-hmm. have to have entertainment for the men and maybe some illegal business started going on. Yeah. Now, because it's federal land and because of, you know, certain things like maybe they don't want to drag a pipeline through rich white neighborhoods, you know, a lot of times they put it through the reservations, yeah. you know, because the, they know that like we really can't fight as easily which obviously we've we've pushed back as much as we can and, and try to prove to them that we are still here and that we are still fighting. But yeah, these man camps, what they'll do is they'll bring in, um, they'll start like it, it, sex trafficking rings, yeah. you know? And the thing is like a lot of these uh, pipelines are on the coasts, you know, especially those ones, they, they will uh, steal these women and sell them off to these cruise ships. And these cruise ships are made specifically for Native women to dress up, and they get sold off as sex slaves. Um, so it, it happens in uncharted waters. And so the women that are like in Newfoundland or in Washington, you know, where those man camps are, a lot of time they get stolen. And, and who knows what abuse happens to them up until that point, too, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, there's not really a lot of help, you know, because when we do report these things, they maybe send one officer out. And they're supposed to work with the tribal police who might also be one officer. And then you just have, you know, hundreds of acres that you might have to try to search over. And that's, you know, it's just too much. Like, they don't they do not do anything to help the epidemic. Yeah, the, the resources and the capacity. So with this awareness being raised, uh, we as we as listeners and uh, supporters of making sure this effort is uh, more known, stomped out, uh, how, how, do, how do we support? How do we help? There's a ton of uh, organizations out there that are based in MMIW. Um, you know, I would just, um, I would, one, first and foremost, I would support the women that are out there because a lot of these things could be avoided 
you know, if there's there's just like quality of life, you know, because mm. a lot of these women, they get stolen when they're like unattended or like they're out on the road trying to hitchhike and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. And so it's just like community care and just, you know, supporting like indigenous women artists and, um, you know, just doing wellness checkups. And for me personally, like how I'm trying to prevent it is like this festival. This festival is like creating a safe space. I don't want to have to have our people come together out of anger or out of sorrow because um, someone's missing or something happened to the community or somebody passed away, you know, somebody walked on. I want it to be a place where we don't have to get to that point where we can just be together with our community you know, because we don't we don't have that space. There's never I don't know of another indigenous music festival. You know, yeah. there isn't one. I can't name one. <laughs> My friend jokingly said Coachella. I was like, yeah, that's about as close as we get, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, but it's true. Like there's nothing that's that's native owned and and there's nothing that that really highlights our talent. And we've just we've been out here ever since. And, you know, that that is prevention work. That is, you know, just crafting those safe places for people. Okay. And within these safe spaces, you spoke to you spoke to this land, uh, you spoke to reservations. And I think sometimes people's connections to reservations may be uh, what we label as casinos or uh, different things that happen in the space of reservations. Uh, what are, are in Michigan? Um, are, are there you know what what's what's happening there? Uh, what safety protocols and what measures could be help supported there for places in Michigan so that we could support? Is it is it ways to send some money? Is it ways to send resources? Uh, what could be done? I will say this: that there is a big um, you know there there was a recent case. Uh, there was a girl from my tribe, um, Little Travers. Uh, her name was uh, Nangons Massey. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is definitely a case of MMIW that just totally rocked the the Michigan Indian community. Mm-hmm. You know, she was uh, brutally murdered in uh, Saginaw, wow. uh, Saginaw Chippewa, by by a white girl. She was like stabbed several times while her mm. baby was in the room. And there was again, there was just shoddy police work. And um, you know, the uh, there's a big protest that's happening. I believe it's August sixth. Um, And it's the date of the federal uh, court hearing. And so that's going to take place down here in Detroit. Um, But, yeah, I would I would look for anything that says Nagons Macy and just try Mm -hmm. to contact the family. You know, for me, that's something so immediately like in our community, you know, they need all the help that they can get there. There there's lawyer fees, you know, and and. You and know, then travel and then other costs with the family. Absolutely. Uh, I'm sure whether, whether, did she have brothers and sisters and they may need mm-hmm. support? Um, yeah. yeah. And, and because we have this very, very knit, like close knit kinship system, like it really just, like I said, it just rocked the community when that okay. happened. Okay, so August 6th uh, at the federal courthouse, we know where that's at downtown Detroit. Um, Definitely uh, that that support. That's an action where protesters and and I guess the bodies, the people being there support raises awareness where uh, things will be noted. 
Absolutely. Uh, we need all the help we can get because honestly, like, you know, Native people, we're, we're a minority of the minorities, you know? Mm-hmm. We really do need bodies here, you know, because we can pull all of us together and it still might not look like a lot of people. We yeah. need all the allies that we can possibly get for that. And what has that relationship you see, uh, how, how has that, those bonds been building, uh, just even leading this festival, connecting with the other communities? Because uh, there is a lot of organization when we think of, you, you've you already co- connected with Southwest Detroit, and I immediately think of the Chicano population there, which in reality, yeah. I think a lot of times the you know, depending upon how we look at it, the Chicano indigenous is indigenous. Too. Yeah, yep. that's what that's what's so strange about this whole "quote unquote" build the wall concept. Yeah. But um, but what has that relationship been like? What has been the connection to the Black community and so forth and so on, and even the Arab community? Yeah, you know, it's it's really a blessing because so many people they hear about this and and it's that same thing. There's like there's nothing like this that exists for you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, so we've we've got a, a lot of support, man. Like it's it's really beautiful to see. You know, it's it's beautiful to see other people just wanting to help uplift uplift us and uplift the festival. So yeah, we're based in Southwest Detroit. And uh, I will definitely say that, um, you know, the, the Latino community, there's been artists and, um, you know, just just businesses that have come up and helped us. And as soon as they heard about it, they're just like, we would, anything, anything that you need. You know, we've gotten donations and, you know, just, it, it's just been really beautiful, you know. And as far as, um, you know, Culture Creators itself, it's, it's a very, like, multicultural um, community, you know, mm-hmm. um, the leader of it, Michael Reyes, he himself is is Mexican, you know, and then a lot of the the folks in there, we got indigenous, we got black folks, you know, we got all sorts of people in here. So it's a very mixed community. And so that's really beautiful to me, too, because now our base is this really diverse, diversified base. And so now from there, we tell those people and they tell all their folks. And it's just that's what I want. I want to see I want to see all sorts of people at our festival because that's that's what it's really about is just bringing us all together. Okay. All right. Well, with that being said, please uh, give the pitch. Let people know of when that's going to happen. We're talking about the vibes with the tribes. When is it going to happen? It's going to be August 28th. All right. How do they get tickets? How do they find out more? Yeah, so it's going to be on Eventbrite. You can look it up, Vibes with the Tribes, on Eventbrite. We're also on Facebook. Uh, you can look up Vibes with the Tribes. There's more information there. Uh, also mm-hmm. on Instagram. So we're looking for vendors. We're looking for dancers. And we also have two tickets. We have a general admission, and we also have a VIP experience where you'll um, meet the artists, uh, be a part of the, the artist lounge, get some really dope food, get some really dope swag from the Vibes with the Tribes t-shirts and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Okay, definitely, definitely cool. You know, as Michiganders, we're going to definitely connect on the food. You know, people going to be like, all right, what's this? You know, oh, I want man. To try, I want to try this now. Y'all need to try some Indian tacos. Get <laughs> okay. ready. All right, yeah, people definitely are willing to try all the food, you know. Uh, and then along with that, just be there for the music and the experience. Uh, like I said, I will be there. It's on Eventbrite, and it's Vibes with the Tribes, and it's no hip-hop spelling, so it's not like V-Y-Y-Y-X or something <laughs> like that. No, it's no. actually how you spell it. Vibes with the tribes. Uh, connect with that. Thank you so much. And if people want to get in contact with you, what should they do? Uh, so I'm on uh, Instagram. I'm on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram at Cool Water Green Sky. 
Um, it's all one word, Cool Water Green Sky, or on um, Facebook, uh, Hadassah Green Sky. I'm sure if you just look up Green Sky, you'll probably find me as well. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Hadassah. This was uh, informational and uh, a good time, but uh, also some very needed, heavy information that people connect with. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network.